0: Welcome to Fertility Now. Today I'm with Dr. Jangus Olu. He is the founder of NextGen Genetics. He has a PhD in forensic science and genetics. Jengis has published many peer-reviewed articles and papers and publications. NextGen Genetics is developing technology, technologies which are used in our field of reproductive medicine and IVF, mostly PGT or pre-implantation genetic testing. Hey Jengis, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. You know, it's so great to have you on. You know, you and I are so lucky because we're in such great, amazing areas in reproductive science that we can really impact our patients. So just amazing what what you do. You know, our audience would love to hear from you, a PhD, very special person. What's PGT? How do you see it?
1: Again, first of all, thanks for the actually the invitation for this nice, uh, actually, uh, conversation. So what is PGT? Uh, pre-implantation genetic testing is a technique used for to identify genetic testing uh, effect in embryos that are created to in vitro fertilization right before the implantation of pregnancy occur. Um, pre-implantation genetic testing is a broad term. The testing can be done for chromosomal anomalies, Commonly used um, as a for anaploid screening, right. uh, where we will be detecting syndromes like such as Down syndrome or uh, Turner syndrome. This technology also can allow us to be able to look at some inherited disease where one or both couples may have the same known genetic abnormalities, which can, testing can be done in embryonic level to be able to understand the genetic status of the embryo.
0: Right. And this, what you're talking about is so interesting. You know, we're able to test an embryo to tell, if it's, tell us if it's 46 chromosomes. That's the aneuploid screening. And we can also tell if an embryo has a potential medical condition. And it's interesting, Jengis, That's why I went into reproductive medicine. When I saw back when, and you're going to giggle maybe, I saw biopsy of a day three embryo utilizing fish, which um, has taken over now into trophectoderm biopsy i was so i was i couldn't believe how incredible that was remember those days when we would when you would and you were involved in in all of this you can tell us testing one out of three cells on day three to see if an embryo was good and looking at little amount of information now it's incredible what you guys are doing
1: absolutely uh, i mean again uh, you and i actually we started from an early stage of this embryo uh the, the development and um Yes, I actually remember an early stage where we were actually taking one cell out of those day pre development and we were doing fluorescent in situ hybridization fish technology to only screen five chromosomes. Although I've been in this field, uh, and I've been reading all the kind of upcoming papers, even it makes me dizzy sometimes how we evolved from the from ten years ago to, to,
0: to today. And it's in its so incredible. And sometimes kind of before we jump in, everyone. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in five and ten years? How much we're both going to be able to help our patients, and how much the technology is going to move forward?
1: Absolutely, I think we're still in an early stage of the development. There are a lot of things to discover, and I think uh, we're halfway halfway done. I'm sure that there will be five years later, there will be much more actually advances in our in our field.
0: So before we jump in, I want to say that Jangus is being humble because he was involved in many areas of PGT, and all these things that he and all his colleagues have done have really helped all of us. So we thank him, and let's kind of jump in. So as everybody on fertility now knows, we do in vitro fertilization, and that's an incredible tool. And the impre- the pregnancy rates are incredible because we're basically putting back an embryo into the uterus and letting that embryo implant into the wall. The reason why the pregnancy rates are so good is because you don't need the tubes to pick up the egg off the ovary. That's not efficient. Now when we do IVF, it's so efficient. So what's happening now, and all of you know who are listening is we're putting back day five, six, day seven embryos or blastocysts. And this is where we were. Remember, we used to put back one beautiful embryo into the uterus genus and wait for a pregnancy test. And we would say, you know, of all the embryos you have on day five, let's pick the most beautiful morphological embryo, put it in, and wait for a pregnancy. And so that's where we were now, And but now, but we're moving forward where we're taking an embryo and we're biopsying that embryo before we put it in. Tell us what a trophectoderm biopsy is.
1: Sure. So um, an embryo has mainly two parts. One is called inner cell mass, which eventually is going to be the baby. And the other part is trophectoderm, which this is going to be eventually a placenta of the baby. So currently, all the genetic testing efforts are currently done by removing few cells from trophectoderm, which we know currently is not harming the embryo, is not detrimental to the embryo. And by removing those couple cells, we believe or we know actually, based on the scientific papers, those few cells will represent the whole embryo. And by looking at those few cells, it gives us an idea about those genetic defects in the embryos if there is one.
0: Right. So it's so incredible. We're biopsying an embryo on day five, six, or seven and finding out if that embryo in quotes is 46 chromosomes. Because remember, human beings have 23 chromosomes from sperm, 23 from egg, and we would love to put back a single embryo that's 46 chromosomes. And that's what PGT-A or PGT aneuploidy is doing. So we're putting back these competent 46 chromosome embryos and able to put one at a time which is key. You know, Jengus. it's like you you tell us the information about an embryo with your genetics and then we can put in a single embryo in them and we're kind of stacking the deck and getting a high pregnancy rate and a low chance of loss.
1: Absolutely. As you just mentioned, every healthy human being carry 23 pairs of chromosome. And the reason I'm saying 23 pairs because we get half of the genetic material from maternal side and other half from paternal side. And any deviation from this 4 to 6, we would consider abnormal, and we would not recommend those embryos to be transferred. And what we know from the published paper, those abnormalities are associated mainly with advanced maternal age. And one of the classic examples that we always give is the Down syndrome or Turner syndrome. With the Down syndrome, instead of having two copies of chromosome 21, there are actually three copies. Although actually those are abnormal, and although... Um, um, they are actually um, the cause actually babies when are anomalies but they are still actually tend to implant pregnancy occur and the baby birth with the severe birth defect so in order to actually avoid all those kind of undesirable outcome uh, this genetic testing for aneuploidy testing i think it will become really useful tool to screen those embryos and transfers family that has 46 chromosomes
0: yeah and we're we're using pgt-a for aneuploidy a lot and most of our patients 38 and above are testing embryos and even our patients 38 and below with counseling are also testing embryos and um you know the american society of reproductive medicine likes pgt-a because we can then do a single embryo transfer and have one healthy baby at a time so jang as i'm you know seeing a lot of our patients who are doing PGT-A to find out if the embryos are 46 chromosomes, like you said, and our older patients, because what Genghis was saying is as women get older, their eggs don't want to behave, and they're making more embryos that are not 46 chromosomes. So let's find a good embryo. And in some of our patients, Genghis, who are having pregnancy loss or recurrent pregnancy loss, we're doing IVF testing embryos and trying to help them find a good euploid embryo to put back into the uterus. So you're seeing that also. And also we're, we're doing gender selection and really anybody who wants to avoid, you know, place a euploid embryo into the uterus. It's incredible, huh?
1: It is. It is. In fact, actually, uh, as you just mentioned, this testing uh, basically uh, would be definitely helpful for rec- recurrent implantation failures, uh, recurrent miscarriage. Um, uh, people be, uh, for family, they, they would like the family balancing because now we'll be able to also look at the gender of the embryos. And based on those information, those embryos can be transferred uh, for the multiple different purposes.
0: Yeah, you, you brought up a point that I want to expand on. Today in my practice, I saw two really nice patients. They were both around 35, and they had no children yet. And they felt that instead of spending time doing Clomid IUI or Letrozole IUI, and becoming pregnant and then coming back for baby number two when they were 37, 38, they opted to do IVF and screening and have all these beautiful embryos frozen today. So they now can bank two, three, four, five, six embryos that are euploid or 46, and then thaw one and put it in, become successful and come back for baby two and three when they're a little bit older and they have those embryos frozen today. Jangus, that is becoming so popular. This is
1: actually, yeah, amazing. I mean, this kind of genetic testing can be utilized for, as just mentioned, all different type of couples where um, if they are not ready to have a baby today, but do the genetic analysis today, freezing those embryos and then transferring them when they are ready, uh, which is kind of like amazing tools between in, the in vitro fertilization clinic and genetic testing level on ours.
0: Right. And so kind of like Jenga said, In the IVF center, we're stimulating you, taking out eggs, creating embryos. And then he, at the genetics lab, at the genetics level, is doing genetic screening. And what I think we would all want to hear is is when you at your center get a little piece of that trophectoderm from all the embryos from a patient, what do you do with it?
1: So once we receive those cells that are biopsied at the clinic, I uh, just want to also clarify, embryos always stays at the IVF center. We only just get few cells from those biopsies. As soon as it arrives to us, we actually start cell lysis. So what is cell lysis? We disturb the cell membrane to be able to get the DNA is available, and that's where the testing is starts. Once the DNA is available, which all the kind of testing that we want to do is basically uh, kind of hidden in this kind of this molecule, and we use a technology called next-generation sequencing. And this is actually relatively cutting-edge new technology. A few years ago, we did not have such a technology. We had actually less complicated, sophisticated technology. But now we have uh, the NGS is um, uh, allow us to be able to do comprehensive chromosome testing for IVF uh, embryos. Um, just to kind of to give you a little bit background about what is NGS, what is next-generation sequencing. Uh, with this technology, it allows us to read DNA fragments for each chromosome with high resolution, with also with high sensitivity and specificity to detect all those chromosomal abnormalities. By doing analysis with the comprehensive genetic coverage, or turnaround time with the faster and also with the high sample volume, we can accommodate hundreds of other samples in, in a day. Um, so um, till recently, we were lo- lo- looking at all the chromosome abnormalities uh, as a normal and abnormal, like, like as if everything is black and white. Uh, but we know that when it comes to uh, biology, nothing is really black and white. And thanks to next generation sequencing that we started start to use this technology for the last five years, now we are not only able to look at those normal and abnormals. And just because of again this is biology some embryos actually may carry two different cells which basically kind of brings me to embryo mosaicism we are able to take those actually gray areas and we are able to provide to clinic and to clinician and to the patient where they have the option to actually to not only transfer normal embryos and in case they don't have normal embryos they may op- opt in to also transfer those mosaic embryos as well so sp- Speaking of mosaicism, if you allow me to continue, uh, please do. Um, and um, so, the, the embryo mosaicism, by definition, where an embryo carry two different cells that are coexist in the same embryo. Embryo may carry normal and abnormal cell lines, or embryo may carry abnormals and different abnormal cell lines. So, anytime we have more than one different cell line in the embryo we consider that those are mosaic embryos. The good thing, actually, with this uh, being able to detect those mosaic embryos, because, again, till recently, we were just calling those normal and abnormal, and there was not actually those gray areas, which there were, there have, there have been, but we were not able to detect those. Now, by looking those, actually, uh, testing methodology and looking those uh, embryonic DNA, Uh, Now we have two actually uh, categories, normals, abnormals, and the gray area where they are actually mosaic. But also with this cutting edge next generation technology, we are able to also categorize those mosaic embryos, uh, low mosaic and high mosaic. Why is this important? Because uh, recent papers that were published uh, by multiple actually scientists showing that if an embryo has more mosaicism, meaning that the embryo carry more normal cells and less abnormal cells, has a better implantation potential compared to high mosaic embryos, where the high mosaic embryos carry more abnormal cells and a relatively less normal cells. So we are able to actually categorize those mosaic embryos and giving back to the clinic, clinician that in case the couples doesn't have any suitable normal embryo to transfer, this can be actually an additional option and uh, knowing actually those uh, actually risk associated with those mosaic embryo transfers.
0: Right, and some of those mosaic embryos we have used obviously in transfers when patients did not have 46 euploid embryos and have had good outcomes. So what we do in our center is if someone has a mosaic embryo that you report to us, we have them sit with our genetic counselor, we go through risk benefits, and we decide if we're going to do a transfer. How long, from the time that you have a trophectoderm biopsy and you lyse it, till you know the report answer, how long does that take you?
1: For the unemployed screening, it is typically our, turn or our time is seven days from the day that we receive. Um but uh, again, this is our typical turnaround time. And in some cases, we report back in five days and four days. But yeah, typically seven days.
0: Jenghis, our patients often ask me how accurate is the answer. This is actually a really good question
1: because um, a paper that I was also co-author published uh, a few years ago. We tried to actually look at the concordance rate between trophectoderm and inner cell mass. Like as I mentioned, inner cell mass is actually eventually it's gonna be the baby. And obviously, for obvious reason, we don't want to really sampling from inner cell mass. We always take sample from trophectoderm. And we try to look at the concordance rate, and concordance rate shows 96%, which is quite high, but we still have approximately ten percent 4%, where the trofectoderm biopsy may not represent the rest of the embryo, which may unfortunately cause false negative or false positive results, which, again, as I mentioned, nothing is black and white in biology. And that's why, uh, but having like 96% concordance rate, it gives us at least a little bit of an idea about uh, the whole embryo uh, genetic makeup uh, rather than just transferring based on only morphology, which we know that some good morphology embryos may, have, may carry actually those abnormal uh, g- uh, genetics, and it may actually cause those miscarriage uh,
0: Right, right. Okay, so we've touched on next-gen sequencing and, and, and aneuploid, aneuploid testing. Let's move on to a second important kind of area of PGT, and that's for monogenic disorders, or PGT-M. This is really, 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 really interesting, and, and it's really the reason why I went into this field. Um, let me set the stage and then Jangus will take over. So a lot of you out there are doing carrier screening. And so before you get pregnant, you're doing a carrier panel to make sure do you carry one of do you carry a medical condition? A lot of the time with these conditions, you wouldn't know that you carried anything because you inherited a medical condition from the family tree and you inherited one gene, you are simply a silent carrier. And so we're now testing for hundreds of conditions to see if our patients are silent carriers. And the reason why is, is because if our female patient, for example, is a carrier of a condition, that's fine. The vast majority of time you don't have anything, you just carry one gene, you're silent. But here's the trick. If your partner carries the same thing by chance, and you're both carriers, so this is called Autosomal, autosomal recessive inheritance, then when you guys come together, 25% of your children will get a gene from you and your partner will have the real disease. The other 75% won't. 50%, so you'll have 25% of your children will have a gene from each of you, have the real deal disease. 25% of your embryos that you make or children will be unaffected, and 50% will be carriers like you. So what we're seeing is, is that some of our patients, Jengs, have done carrier panels, and by chance, they're both carriers of the same condition. But we also have some couples who've had a child who had a medical condition, and guess what? They now found out that they're both carriers of the same thing. And what they're doing is they're coming in, and they're saying, you know what? I'd like to do IVF and test embryos to find out which embryos are affected and which ones are not. So this is incredible. So it's amazing, huh, that you can do this and help couples with these situations.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I'm really pleased to hear that uh, more and more actually couples actually willing to do this carrier screening. um, Because as you just mentioned, the couples may carry some silent recessive autosomal disease. And they don't even know it until actually they get married with someone else that has the same mutation. And I think it's really important to know before even actually start the IVF cycle. And once those actually limitations have been found and doing the testing in embryonic level becomes really crucial to have a healthy babies. And I'm happy actually to kind of to go over how we do actually those testing in our laboratory when it comes to single gene disorders.
0: So here's what we're going to do. And this is why. (laughs) So remember, I want to make two quick comments and he's going to comment about that. So remember, all of our patients who come in, we suggest doing carrier screening. And so does the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Real quickly, remember, some of you are coming in and there is a cancer in the family tree. And sometimes we're going to ask you if you want to do a hereditary cancer syndrome panel, because we can also find out find genes that could potentially cause cancer in you and or your offspring. And we can also test embryos. So like a BRCA gene, which is for a breast cancer, if you're a female and you have BRCA gene, 50% of your offspring will also have the BRCA gene. And you may want to do IVF and test embryos for that BRCA and find out which embryos you should put in that don't have the BRCA. So, Janice, talk to us about the following. Here we go, I'm gonna give you a little scenario. And this is where you and your center are so pivotal in our field. We have a patient who are both carriers with a condition. They say, I wanna do IVF and find out what's up with the embryos. Walk us through it.
1: So perfect. So yes, when we get the mutation report, like with the example that you provide us cystic fibrosis, uh, this is a condition, it is very autosomal recessive, where um, both couples actually carry from the same mutation. Um, so I would like to just remind again to the audience, uh, every human being carries 23 pairs. And again, the reason we're mentioning 23 pairs, because we get half from mom and half from on the paternal side. So when you are actually having an embryo, the, the embryo actually get half of the chromosome from maternal side and half of the from paternal side. Now the question is, which chromosome from mom is coming through the embryo, and which chromosome is coming from paternal side? Now with this recessive condition, uh, as we just kind of like giving it an example, one of the chromosomes is healthy, and the other one is actually the carrier. Now for us, in order to be able to understand which homolog chromosome goes to the embryonic level, we need to be able to actually do linkage analysis. Linkage analysis mainly allow us to understand. All those chromosomes will be transferred from the parents to their embryos and in order to, for us to accept or actually to be able to do the testing we actually have a mandatory genetic consultation to gather family history once we actually identify the family history and understand the carrier status of their parents we would be requesting samples from their parents where we would be actually using those DNA, only to understand how those chromosomes passed from one generation to another generation that we can eventually understand the genetic makeup in the embryonic level. And as you just mentioned, we will be able to understand whether or not they are completely affected or carrier like their parents or completely normal. And based on all the information and the, the embryo transfer can be done. And one more important thing that I would like to add to that is when we do single gene disorder for those inherited disease, we are also able to do the simultaneous analysis for aneuploidy, which is the non-inherited disease, such as Down syndrome, Turner syndrome. I just want to mention that those are not inherited disease, but those are actually cause uh, the problem as the uh, maternal maternal, uh, age advances. So with this testing, we can do simultaneous analysis for single gene disorders and aneuploidy and based on these two results, we will be able to pick the best embryos in terms of the genetic that they can have in a healthy baby.
0: Yeah. So I want to I pick apart three really cool things you said. Number one is that when you're going to take care of a couple who are both carriers, for example, and what we're talking about is an example, cystic fibrosis, you counsel them. So your team talks to them. And you commented that, so you know the genetics of the male and the female. Because they're carriers, but you also will go and find some genetic information on their parents, and and to to see what the reason why you're doing that is because that helps you in your genetics to better able to help them find the gene that you're looking for. Is that how you look at it? Absolutely, that's correct. Yes, because especially with the cystic fibrosis
1: example, which is autosomal recessive. When their couple actually found to be actually having those disease mutation, uh, from the maternal side, the mom would either receive this recessive mutation only either from father's side or from mother's side. So it is really important for us to understand how those recessive disease actually transfer from their parents to their child. And we need to do the same thing in the paternal side. When we actually have autosomal uh, recessive disease condition, the sample requirement, unfortunately, is actually more. We need data from both paternal and maternal grandparents. When it comes to autosomal dominant disease, uh, our sample requirement is slightly different and requirement is less. We just need only the person who has a dominant disease parent's information, and we don't need anything from the other, actually, couples, uh, and the partner's parent information. So it depends on whether or not this is autosomal recessive, autosomal dominant, or those hereditary conditions. Um, We will be actually having discussion with the couples, and based on those all conditions, we would be requesting some samples to be able to do linkage analysis, to be able to do the testing on the embryonic level.
0: Right. So you're just you're you're a detective getting all your information together so you can make them a great situation. So when that piece of trophectoderm comes in, you know exactly what you're looking for to help them find what's on their embryo or not. Absolutely. And and, and the other thing I want to highlight to our audience again is when you're doing, like Dr. Jang has said, when you're looking for in your embryo, does it am I a carrier of CS, CF, or is this embryo affected or is it unaffected? That's knowing one thing about the embryo, but in addition, almost all of our patients will add in PGTA, and they'll say, you know what? Yes, this embryo is unaffected, but is it 46 chromosomes or not? You want to know that, and you also kind of want to know the gender. So, you're right, I have our patients do those two panels together. Um, Great point for us to highlight. Um, The last interesting thing in PGT, not the last, this is all the beginning, as you and I know, is looking for structural rearrangements. And you and I have talked about this in the past. That's and a good example is for our patients who have had recurrent pregnancy loss. So our patients come in, let's say a couple, they've had two three losses. We do genetics on them. We do paternal karyotypes on their blood, and we find out that, that one of them has what's called a balanced Translocation—it's hard to explain, but it's when there's kind of a flip-flop in a chromosome from one chromosome to another chromosome. Um, and to make a long story short, and I'll let Jengus tackle this. It's not easy. What he's going to do is—is is we're going to try to find through PGT which embryos you can bu- you can transfer in the future that are going to be embryos that are going to give you a higher chance of of being pregnant with what's called a being having a balanced gamete. Okay, is try to jump on that one.
1: Absolutely. So again, as you just mentioned, um, we have seen actually uh, some sort of percentage uh, the patient population are carrying those balanced translocation. They don't even know until they conceive. And this is approximately seen about 6% of the patient population. They are carriers and they're completely fine, perfectly fine until they try to conceive. And most of the time, uh, we actually received those karyotyping results where uh, we actually, two chromosomes in, involved with this translocation. So just to simplify that, what is translocation? Generally speaking, two chromosomes, they actually exchange pieces. And when you exchange those pieces, when they have a breakpoint, when those break point is just doesn't disturb any gene, that's why they are actually completely normal, all the genes are actually still there It just, they actually move from one chromosome to another one. So there is no genetic loss. And again, they're completely fine until they conceive. And we are able to also detect those imbalances in the embryonic level. And we would be able to actually give the result back to the clinician that they can transfer those normal slash balance embryos. So our technology, and as far as I know, no other technology currently that are available can differentiate between normal or versus balanced, but those actually embryos can be considered still as a carrier, and they will be, like their parents, carrier or could be completely normal, uh, but those are embryos will be actually recommended for transfer, and any imbalances would be obviously considered abnormal, and those embryos would be not recommended for transfer, and if they were transferred. They would either not implant, or if they do implant, they may end up also with miscarriage, which basically that's the reason probably they are coming in
0: the first place. Right. So with the PGT-SR, you're finding embryos that are balanced. That's correct. Yes. And we're putting them in and having great success. And we're not putting embryos that are unbalanced. And that's incredible technology, especially for our patients who have had recurrent pregnancy loss and in their carry types they have found out that one of them has a balanced translocation. Um, and it's real easy, you know, Janus with zooming because of the pandemic, it's hard to explain that. But when someone's sitting in front of you, you can draw a carry type and show breakpoints, And it's so much easier. Absolutely. So in our closing time, I think what's really interesting is to, to kind of look to the future and, and I throw a question at you and you can answer any way you want. You know, what do you, You know, what do you feel the next frontier in our genetic world in in reproductive medicine? It's so incredible now that we're looking at the embryonic level. What do you think the next cool thing is out there?
1: Perfect. I'm glad that you're asking this question because, uh, I mean, uh, I have been actually in this field close to a little bit over 15 years. And we started with fifth chromosome analysis with the very old technology called fluorescent hybridization they moved the whole chromosome screening with RACJH and next-generation sequencing, um, all actually really related to embryo biopsy. And right now, um, in in our actually uh, company, we have also research facility. Uh, We are actually working on a technology called non-invasive pre-implantation genetic testing for aneuploidy, where instead of really taking from cells from an embryonic level to be able to do analysis, we are actually be able to do the genetic testing without even touching the embryo by itself. Um, How? Every single embryo actually grow in a small culture media, which that media provides some nutrition to the embryo that they actually grow during those five day stage. And while they're actually growing, uh, they shed DNA into the culture media. And by looking those genetic material in the culture media, we could do the analysis without even touching the embryo by itself, which again, I think, in my opinion, that's going to be the feature. And it may actually give us more information about the whole embryo rather than just getting fifth cell from trophectoderm, which we know that sometimes it, they may or may not represent the whole embryo. Um, but I think right now what we believe that analyzing the culture media may have a better representation on the whole embryo Um, that we may have actually better understanding about those embryo mosaicism and transferring those embryos based on the whole um, embryo-related, actually, cells, not only, like, three cells that are removed from profectural. This is obviously one, one of the projects that we have been working on our company, but we discussed before, probably in the past, where, for me, the most fascinating part is to work, actually, the implantation. We know that not every single embryos that are transferred even though we call them normal or euploid, are still not implanted. Um, and this is actually is a become like my research focus for the last couple of years. Um, as a company, we have been trying to understand how the embryo and endometrium, which is they, they communicate with each other, that they actually eventually can implant and have a better success. Um, currently, the success rate is high, but I don't think we are kind of still getting the 100% implantation rate. And with this research project, we would like to understand how can we actually enhance the communication between embryo and endometrium, that we can increase the this uh, implantation rate, hopefully at least ten or fifteen percent more than what we have today.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. So our patients know that, like you said, Janus, we're taking six cells. You know, six, seven cells, five, six, and seven cells off of the trophectoderm. But that, like you said, is just one little area on the future placenta cells. Those cells don't tell us about, like you said, the inner cell mass. It's just a little snippet. And the non-invasive testing that you're interested in and you you talked about is really cool for all the listeners, because think about it, the embryo is in culture media, and it's living in it for five days and like Dr. Jenga said basically they're going to be taking cells that are bathing the embryo and saying, okay, cells, tell us about that embryo. And tell us if it's a good embryo without even touching the embryo. It's really, really cool. And the other thing, Jenga, you commented on, like you, you kind of commented and said, you know, we're getting pregnancy rates of like 70% per embryo transfer with U-plate embryos, but there's another 30%. How do we kind of push that forward? And, you know, you and I both think about, you know. The embryo, communicating with the endometrium, and how that all happens. Can we do better? And then maybe we can increase pregnancy rates. So I hope you have a new tool out there for us to help our patients with in the future with regard to the uterus and lining. We're waiting. We're waiting yes, Hopefully, us to go. Hopefully, we will, we'll get there. <laughs> so notice everyone, he hasn't told us. He's keeping it in his bag, but he'll bring it out. Last thing before we go. So, is for you, on the day-to-day in your professional life, what, what gives you the most energy and what makes you the most excited?
1: Yeah. Uh, so, again, I started 15 years ago, and I was actually a researcher at Stanford University, and I did a lot of, actually, studies on human evolution. But since actually I met with my wife she happened to be an embryologist and actually she kind of brought me to this field um, I've seen all those different kind of like testing methodology and I've been really fascinating in genetics um, uh, again like um, seeing there are still a lot to explore in this field it just kind of makes me to kind of to push the, over the limit and uh, for a day to day basis like seeing, We are helping families to build their families. Um, It just kind of like makes me just to kind of to do more in this field.
0: Yeah, me too. You know, like you said, the day-to-day when people are successful from the things we've done, that's why you and I are talking so everyone can hear because we love to see them succeed. And that's why we're, we're here. So... There's so much we could talk about. There's so many things happening. You know, in a year, maybe we'll reconvene and we'll talk about the new things that have happened. I want to thank you very, very much for just touching on some of these things. Remember, um, you can follow Jengus on his website. Your website's very cool. Nextgengenetics.com. And you're on LinkedIn, right? That's correct. C-I-N-N-O-G-L-U check them out um is any last comments you have before the weekend
1: no actually i want to wish happy memorial day to everyone and actually thanks for having me in this conversation it was really nice to kind of to have all the discussion
0: yep and i want to thank you very much for coming on it's nice to have me as an re and you as a as a doctor of genetics, talk about these things. Remember, you can follow me on Instagram at Dr. Spencer Richland on Facebook and Pinterest. You can feel free to email me with any questions or suggestions. I'd love to hear from you guys. Remember, my email is fertilitynow1 at gmail.com. Jangus, thank you very much.